Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 765. Go with your heart. Go with what you think at the time is the right thing to do. And if it isn't, you did the wrong thing for the right reason. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Steve Austin. Hey, Steve, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go. All right. Steve Austin owns and operates Stephen Austin's Automobilia and Travel, where he provides the finest in historic European and Formula One motor racing tours and artwork. For over 40 years, he's taken clients on their most exciting travel adventures of a lifetime. His tours are designed for automotive enthusiasts who want exemplary hotel, foods, and a variety of experiences with a focus on motor racing. From Le Mans to Monaco, the Goodwood Festival of Speed, and the Goodwood Revival, Steve allows his guests the ability to tailor their trips to their liking. He also represents several major automotive artists, including Alfredo de la Maria, Nicholas Watts, and Masha. And we're going to learn a lot more about that as we get into the questions here. But Steve, I've told our listeners a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your business and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Okay, well, first of all, um, the uh, the businesses that I run are, are basically together. Uh, one is automobilia and the other one is great vacations. Now, when I do my great vacations, although you mentioned that uh, I do Formula One tours, in, in actual fact, I don't do the Formula One tours. I do all the historic races. I'm, I'm an old fart. And so, <laughs> therefore, I'm interested in stuff that happened many years ago. And, and it seems to be a very popular uh, leaning this day and age. Yeah. Uh, I, I like to go to events where we can meet the drivers and talk to people and not be... Uh, charge $600 for a ticket. Um, <laughs> I understand. So, uh, so basically, most of my most of my car tours are for historic races or historic car events. Awesome. Uh, then the other side of my business is the automobilia, which is the uh, motor racing artwork. Uh, and that is something which is more of a passion. It's just that uh, I feel as though vicariously I can live through all these wonderful races and events through the artist's palette. And fortunately, over the years, it seems as though uh, many people... Uh, agree with me, and uh, business has been very strong for many years. Well, it sounds so cool, and maybe we'll we'll say instead of Formula One, historic Formula One. Have you ever taken clients to historic Formula One races? Uh, well, yeah, the, uh, the uh, there is not really um, a historic Formula One that will work for the kind of programs I do. I do the Monaco Historics, where there are Formula One cars racing in among some of the classes, yeah. and so. Yes, we see a lot of Formula One cars in events we go to. Um, for instance, this year when we're going to the Festival of Speed at Goodwood, um, there is a complete um, uh, series of uh, Ferrari Formula One cars going to be showing up uh, uh, at the Revival, the same thing, because it's an anniversary this year for Ferrari. Okay, very, very cool. Well, it sounds like great fun. I'm a huge fan of historic racing. And, of course, my listeners know that I've had probably over a 100 automotive artists as guests here on the show. So. We're all in good company here together, and as we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. It's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Steve, take the wheel. 
Okay, my most probably the most inspirational event for me. I was a young boy, uh, grew up in England at a at a boarding school, which a lot of young English boys were in those days and still do, I guess. And we had our speaker. This is after the war. I'm I'm not as I say it before. I'm an old fart, but I'm not <laughs> totally that old. And in the in the mid um, in the mid fifties um, or late fifties, no less than Winston Churchill was our school speaker. Wow! And I remember very very clearly uh, and. His, uh, he went on for a long time as a boy of about, I think, 10 years of age. Uh, that wasn't too exciting until the very end. He stood up and he said, my, my, my you know, advice to all you young boys is never give up. And uh, that one stayed with me for the rest of my life. And it's almost uh, the way I kind of look about everything. Never give up. Stay, stay in the game. You know, I've had so many guests use that famous quote by Sir Winston Churchill, but you're the first one to actually got to hear it coming from his lips. So that's pretty darn special. So uh, yeah, he had a great influence on so many people and continues to today. And given your involvement with racing, every one of my racing guests on this show, that's been their inspirational quote, never, ever oh, really? give up. Yeah, every single one of them. It's a racing <laughs> thing. So, you know, it makes sense. Until that checker flag yeah. comes down, you never know. The guy in front of you might slide right off and you'll be in first place. So, wow, but that's pretty cool. You got to hear it from his lips. Very nice. Well, let's go back in time. Would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were a car guy? Well, it certainly was pivotal. I don't know if I realized it at the time because I was too young. But uh, as I mentioned uh, just a moment ago, I, I was at um, at private boarding school, and life's pretty boring. Uh, there's not much going on. Um, they it's very military kind of a system. But um, it was what a, you know a lot of young boys did uh, in England in those days. Mm-hmm. And so my my escape was um, I used to literally sketch racing cars on all my books and uh, <laughs> yeah. we would be allowed to go on a Sunday we would be allowed to go out for uh, a day into the town where the school was and I had a very very close friend still is a very close friend uh, we were at school with and we had bicycles they were horrible things but they were bicycles and we would cycle to car events and I can remember cycling 60 miles oh my gosh Yes, I know, and, and and but mind you, I'm you know ten, eleven years of age or whatever. <laughs> yeah, to uh, Goodwood, and I can remember the first race I ever saw. First of all, I went in under the fence because we didn't have any money to pay to go in. But um, I've certainly given Lord March all his money back since then. <laughs> well, that's good <laughs> um, to know. <laughs> yeah, the statute of uh, limitations is over by now too, so you're safe. That's Steve. right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, he was using me for promotion at the time. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, but I actually got to see uh, Fanjo in his last season, Mike Hawthorne, Peter Collins, wow, young Sterling Moss. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, we I don't think at the time I realized how amazing it was. We never even thought about getting signatures, although we were quite able to walk around and talk to these people. Uh, but in those days, it wasn't kind of a big thing getting signatures, right? And so it was just a great event, and that was the thing that turned me. I don't think I ever stopped thinking about motor racing after that. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I I can't even imagine. Well, number one, being a 10 or 11-year-old in a boarding school lets you just pedal off 60 miles to the racetrack. (laughs) I mean, you think about that now, that would never be allowed. But 
the fact that you got to do that and then to be around those iconic drivers back in the day when they were competing, I don't see how that couldn't influence you. And it obviously laid heavy on your mind for your future career. So, wow, what an experience. Well, Stephen, what I want to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and get our hands a little dirty here and ask you to share a, a huge failure, even a big challenge that you faced. What you're doing, be an entrepreneur, taking people on travel tours when you never really know what might happen has got to be full of a couple challenges that you faced over time. So take us there, share that with us. But of course, tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum in your career and your business. Well, I think that uh, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said about you never really know what's coming around the corner. And the, and the tour business uh, it has lots of, uh, of danger points. Uh, and over the years, you, you have to be very pragmatic on what you're doing. Uh, try not to overdo anything, but at the same time, try and make sure that everybody gets something which they would not normally be able to do by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very, very fine line. Back in the uh, when I first started, I've been doing this now for forty years. Oh my gosh. Uh, when I first started this, there was no uh, motor racing themed programs. Uh, I was actually just doing uh, tours into Europe for basically the old system of fifty uh, odd people on a bus driving around Europe in ten days. Awful stuff, mm-hmm. but um, it kept me alive, and uh, it, it honed my skills as I got uh, into the programs. Uh, it was very, very tough. The first 10 years, I, I came over to America with the idea of setting up a tour business, and uh, it was a, it was quite a harsh decision because I was doing okay in England, but I knew I didn't want to stay there. There was far more things I wanted to do, and so I came over to the States, and I've never regretted it, but the first 10 years of my tour or my travel business Mm -hmm. was tough. Um, I never knew from one year to the next whether I was going to be still in business. And then uh, gradually, as like all businesses, if you stay in there long enough (laughs) uh, and you do the right things, you know, things get better. And so my biggest, um, I guess, um, challenge, if anything, was uh, was really nothing to do so much with the business as with the... um, uh, I went through a, a very close period where when I got a divorce, which was very, very hard at the time, mm. uh, and immediately after I got that, I got cancer. Oh, no. <laughs> so oh my gosh. In, yeah. In a very short period of time, I'd gone from being married uh, uh, to being in a hospital bed. Um, oh, my goodness. And, and of course, uh, as anybody out there knows, uh, you don't get to go through divorces without it affecting you uh, financially and business-wise and then right. the cancer and so on and so forth. So for uh, for about uh, four years there, um, it was a very dicey, dicey time. And uh, wow. I was just pragmatic about it and realized that things will improve. And sure enough, they did. Well, gosh, well, thanks for taking us to a really private and personal part of your life. And obviously incredibly challenging. What's a good takeaway from this that you might share with someone out there listening that might be facing similar challenges, whether it be a divorce or, heaven forbid, a cancer or a health issue? Well, I don't know if I'm really that um, good a person to give advice, actually, because, uh, uh, I mean, everybody handles things, you know, challenges differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess I just go back to what I said about uh, being pragmatic uh, and uh, and not giving up and just keep going. Don't, uh, you know, nothing can be worse everything will get better and and I, and, and that's really uh, that's really most probably the only thing i can say to people and i'm sure there's uh, there's people out there who've got much better advice <laughs> well 
I think it's great advice, and one one way I like to look at this from an analogy relating to cars is just don't look in the rearview mirror. Look out the windshield. That's why it's bigger than the rearview mirror anyway. Just keep looking ahead. Like on a race course, you're always looking to where you want to go, not where you've been. I think that's the best advice I heard from you telling us. And uh, again, thank you for taking us there. I'm so happy you're still with us and things are going well. <laughs> Let's shift gears, though, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. It's one of those times when in your business, you realize, ah, this is the path I need to take. This is the road to go down to be successful. So tell us about that aha moment and what it meant for you. I think it was probably going back to when I was doing a lot of, a lot of tours in, in Europe uh, with big groups and so on. Uh, I also uh, had a travel agency in, um, in Oregon, and it was a period when the travel agency was supposed to be supporting the tour business, but in reality, the tour business was supporting the travel agency, and it, was, you know, it wasn't particularly anything exciting was going on. Uh, I happened to be on a, a program where we were in, when we were in Monaco, and while I always followed the racing scene because I was so busy with the tour, it, I didn't even realize until I was within about 100 miles of Monaco and starting to see people driving in cars with signs and so on that the Grand Prix was on. That was, I mean, it really surprised me. That I didn't even realize it because I was too damn busy. <laughs> yes. But by sheer fluke, I, um, I bumped into a couple of ex-race drivers who I knew from the, the 60s. And basically, they gave me some great advice. They said, hey, this business, uh, this um, the travel business in, in uh, motor racing is starting to really, really take off. And I said, oh, I said, I had never thought about doing motor racing. I thought, you know, all my tours had to do with seeing the countryside. Right. That was kind of, it was what I loved. It was my passion. And suddenly I thought, my God, I can do something that not only, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, might make me some money, but it also will be something I love doing. Yeah. And, uh, and I will advise people out there, by the way, that the, the tour business is, it ain't a business if you want to get rich. <laughs> there's not, there's not many masters of industry in the tour business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most people in the tour business that I know, anyway, are in it because of their, their really, they're, they're all kind of boys still. They're still, or, or young girls, they're still people who want to do exciting things. Yes. They do realize as you get on that it's not so exciting as I thought it was. But, um, <laughs> but nonetheless, uh, it's always got something new. It's not like as though you're going to go to work at nine o'clock in the morning and go home at five. Right. You know, and while I got nothing against that, and sometimes I wish to God I did do that. <laughs> um, the reality is, is that um, I, I get over a big tour and I go home and I think, oh, God, I'm glad that one's over with. Uh, and immediately thinking about the next one and then just getting all excited about it. Sure, so. sure. Well, the grass is always greener on the other side, as they say. I think that it's really cool that you figured out a way, and that's what Cars Yeah is all about, to combine your passion with your business. And the fact that when those little light bulbs come on for us, it's so exciting because you realize, ah, oh, well, I'm already doing the work. I'll just focus it down this road and do what I like more of. So, uh, and that kind of leads me to the next question, which has to do with a proudest career or business moment. I've got to think you, it gives you a pretty uh, great feeling to make people so happy and take them on the, these adventures of a lifetime that they maybe never had a way to figure out how to do. So what's the proudest career moment for you that you could share? Oh, wow. That's a heck of a question. Um, I have numbers of thoughts about people who I, I've met so many great people. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a massive uh, amount of people that I've known through the travel business and, and many of them become very good friends and some of them very close friends. I think was probably my proudest moment is when somebody comes up to me and says, 
my God, Steve, how did you put this together? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, Magic. and that tells me, uh, you know, because mind you, the way they say it, if they say, how did you put this together? You know, it might not be such a good uh, rapport. But uh, I think those are things that make you feel happy, make you feel good. You think, you know, you're, you're doing a decent job. Well, absolutely. Yeah, you've, you've done something that they could not have done on their own. You pulled it off, as they say. Yeah, that's got to make you feel really, really great. Well, let's have a little bit of fun and go back in time again. I would love for you to talk a little bit about your first really special car, that car you finally landed or got. It could be your first car, the first time you had freedom in your life, other than that bicycle that you pedaled off to Goodwood, and maybe share a special memory about that vehicle. Well, I had a, a, a number of vehicles, and of course, because I was in England, they're, they're, usually they're English cars and so on. Mm-hmm. I, uh, we, we were um, very nationalistic after the war, so nobody would imagine driving anything but, a, but an English car. And so uh, my, my very first car was a little Standard 8, which, uh, God knows how many horsepower. I think my lawnmower has more than that now. <laughs> but um, uh, it, it sufficed. It ran just. Uh, but the first car that I really, really thoroughly enjoyed was a little Mini Cooper. Uh, and I think yeah. that was, uh, you know, the period I grew up, that was the car that all, all young men you know, we're excited to drive because none of us could afford cars that we eventually maybe got to mm-hmm. drive. But sure. at that time, I can remember very clearly that uh, in 1964, a Mini Cooper was uh, 512 pounds. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, and everybody wanted, uh, we all wanted a Cooper S, mm-hmm. but uh, no insurance company would touch you unless you were about uh, 30 years of age. Ah, okay. So, most of us uh, ended up with either a little straightforward Mini, uh, 850 Mini, or, or a little uh, hotter Mini Cooper. Uh, and it was, you know, as you said, the, the first time that you really have freedom and so on. And uh, that was the first car I really, really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. They're such fun little cars. And uh, I've said this before. One of my uh, great longtime sponsors here is Christopher Kimball. He's a financial advisor. Great guy. He listens every day. So he's smiling right now. He drives a Mini Cooper from time to time. He's a tall guy. I don't know how he gets into it. But uh, <laughs> he also has a yeah. Pantera. That one he can fit in fine. Yeah, uh, I always kind of chuckle when he climbs into that little Mini Cooper and takes a spin. So I uh, hope you're doing well, Chris. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've uh, sold that you really wish you had back in your garage? Yeah, well, without a doubt, the when I decided to come from um, from uh, England to uh, to America, because of course it takes a long time to get all your papers and uh, you know get your uh, immigration worked out. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going, uh, and so I had about nine months before I actually took off. And I had uh, just purchased a, this was in 1972 a, a V12 E Type. Beautiful, beautiful car. Oh. So it was a significant to me because it was the first time I could afford what oh. I considered to be an expensive car. Although, in, you know, there was a lot more expensive cars out there. But for the average Joe in in England, a, a, a V12 E Type was a pretty damn nice oh, car. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, we uh, this was a period when Britain was in terrible, terrible financial straits, and uh, you're not you weren't allowed to take any cash, any money out of the country. You oh. could only take your personal belongings and so on. And I made the mistake, uh, I made the error of not shipping that car over to the States. I sold it because uh, I didn't know how I was going to be allowed to um, 
to do that. And so I, I sold it. It was a gorgeous car, and I had only about 12,000 miles on the dang thing. Oh, wow. So it was, you know, but um, uh, the, the interesting thing was, was that the reason I sold it was because the only way I could get my any money out of England was to turn it into uh, personal belongings. And so I, I sold an awful lot of my my stuff that I could sell and put it bought all sorts of antiques at these antique fairs and then shipped them all over to Los Angeles and had a massive sale. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was very clever of you. <laughs> well, it wasn't very clever of me. There was a lot of people <laughs> doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, if, it wasn't just going from uh, England to the States. Uh, I had a lot of friends who w- were living in South Africa, and they were having the same t- problem. They, would, they had done financially quite well in South Africa, but they couldn't get their money out. Uh, so yeah. uh, we'd meet up at different uh, events, usually at different races somewhere or other, and discuss how the hell do you do this, you know? Sure. So it was kind of interesting. Well, capital always finds a way to grow. So as I always say, capital goes where capital grows. There's always a way to kind of figure out how to do that. But uh, a V12, the first Jaguar XKE I ever drove was a V12. I had a detailing business in junior high and high school. And I had a client who lived a ways away from me. I'd ride my bike to his house and he'd let me drive that V12 back to my house to detail it. And oh, I just felt like I was the king of the road driving that thing. Oh, it was such a wonderful car. Since then, I've I've had an, over here. I've had a number of E types because I was always very keen on them, mm-hmm. and I don't think the V12 was as good a driver as as actually the uh, as the like a '66 or '67 uh, XK. Just because I think the six cylinder was a better performance car than the V12. V12 is a bit heavy, and it and it go through a corner and the darn thing would scupper going through the corner, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Not that one should be driving like that, but uh, uh, but as far as uh, having it, uh, it was a blood red XKE and I was a bachelor. I mean, wow. I'll tell you something. What better? <laughs> yeah, you were the king of the road. <laughs> great, great combination. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, just beautiful cars. I would agree with you having driven an earlier Series 1, Series 2 versus Series 3 cars. Uh, yeah, I think the uh, the earlier cars are much nicer and uh, just, oh, they're all just so beautiful though. So, wow. Fantastic. Well, let's talk about what has you excited and fired up today. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more and explain a little bit more to our listeners, anyone out there that might be interested in using your services to have a trip of a lifetime. Tell us about Stephen Austin's Automobilia and Travel. Okay, well, first of all, as far as the travel is concerned, I should tell you that now at my, my ripe old age, I'm not really producing massive amounts of programs. Uh, I do ones which are really exciting, and I think I do them well. I hope I do them well. Uh, I always do uh, the Monaco Historics combined with the Millamelia every two years. The Monaco Historics is every two years. Uh, I do the Goodwood Revival every year. And some years I will do the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Some some years I will do the Le Mans Classic. But pretty much uh, these are the kind of programs. And I will now I'm only doing somewhere in the region of about uh, three main programs. I do a couple of private ones for people. But uh, I'm I'm slowing up only because I'm enjoying doing them and I want to uh, have time to um, just kind of enjoy this point of my life as far as business is concerned, where uh, I don't have to look anymore worry about whether the uh, the bank manager can get paid, you know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Although maybe I should, but... Uh, um, <laughs> 
And so uh, this year coming up in 2018, for instance, I, I'm, the, my two main programs is going to be the Monaco Historics and Mill Amelia, which is a fantastic program. Uh, I, I say this myself, you know, completely unashamedly because I spent years working on this one. We have a hospitality suite, which is on the start finish line, overlooking the, the track right down where the um, all the cups and things are given out at the end of the race, nice. you know, right on the grid. I mean, looking across the bay, it is absolutely phenomenal and then uh, I, I you know i put people in there for uh, into monaco for four days we have a great time we meet lots of drivers meet two wonderful restaurants uh, and then we go down just to um, for everybody to kind of get a little break from the noise of the cars we go down to portofino and spend a couple of days um, just actually um, just being tourists in uh, in that area and it's very very nice and then we shoot on up to um to Brescia to or actually to Lake Garda for the Millamelia, which is always uh, in between the Monaco Historics and the Grand Prix, which is the week after. So it's kind of a and so when we go up through there, of course, we do all the um, we do all the Marinello and the Lamborghinis, the Maseratis, all the all the sports cars, the Italian sports cars, uh, and then head up to uh, Lake Garda for uh, the Millamelia at Brescia. And so it really is a very, very special program. Now, I should tell you that I've been very fortunate, but now what happens is that Iron Thing gets sold out. Yes. Uh, usually, <laughs> uh, usually before November, December, uh, I will almost certainly be sold out on that program. And then the, the same thing with the Goodwood Revival, which has gone from, you know, f- force to force um, every year. Uh, Lord March comes up with something new. I can't can't imagine how he keeps coming up with something which is more <laughs> exciting than the year before. But he does. It's always uh, I hate his prices. The ch- we have the most beautiful hospitality suite on the infield mm-hmm. of the chicane. I mean, it couldn't you couldn't be at a better place at a, at a wonderful event. But he certainly knows how to charge for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, <laughs> on, absolutely. On the other on the other hand, when I'm there. And when I see it, and I've done this now for obviously since uh, since he inaugurated it years wow. and years and years ago, I sit there and I think it doesn't make any difference. It, it, there is nothing like this in the world. Right. This is something yeah. that just you will not see. People may like, try to replicate it, and some may get a little close, but nobody can touch Goodwood Revival. And so I have the same thing with that. I, I can only take X amount of people because I can only get hospitality suites for X amount of people. And so that right. usually, uh, I, I, right now, I've got already. I think I have 30 seats available, and I think I've got 18 or 19 of them already registered. So cool. it's a wonderful problem for me to have. Uh, but sometimes I feel very sorry because I have people come up to me when, at, at events I'm at with my artwork, whereas I do an awful lot of contacts from touring during the artwork um, shows. You know, I say, oh, I'm really, really sorry. I, you know, we're, we're, we're sold out. Yeah. You know? and, <laughs> And uh, and they kind of look at you as though, well, you know, why are you advertising it if you're sold out? You know, right. well, when when the ad went out, it wasn't. You know? Yeah, yeah, I understand. So, well, I have a solution for you. Just hire me to come along. I'll help you out. I'd be happy to <laughs> carry people's luggage for you and uh, and serve food. And uh, yeah, I'm sure there's l- plenty of us with our hands up that would love to be your helpers. So. I'll make a note. Okay. <laughs> yeah, please do. Absolutely. I'm just two hours north of you, so we're really close. We're just like buddies and neighbors here. So, wow. Well, it just sounds so fantastic and so wonderful. And the kind of experiences you provide for people, just absolutely lifetime experiences. So very, very nice. And real briefly, too, the artwork that you're doing, uh, you mentioned the artist at the beginning, and I did as well. Tell us a little bit about what got you into that. 
Well, again, it was just really my passion for for motor racing, and uh, I was uh, I was uh, in uh, uh, Monaco. I went to a um, to a art gallery in Monaco, and there was this artist, this English artist, had this you know major display of of artwork, and uh, it was all motor racing artwork. And uh, I I mean, I dropped a whole bundle of money, and you know, I thought, oh my god, this is incredible. You know, I was at that event. Oh, I was there. You know, yeah, I know yeah. that. And so I ended up bringing it all home, and uh, and my wife was not quite so delighted <laughs> as I was. <laughs> and, uh, she thought the testosterone level was the testosterone level in the house was a little more than it uh, needed the to red be. mist took over. Yes. Oh, so I actually ended up putting uh, putting a lot of my artwork in the in my travel agency, and I was amazed how many people. You were doing the same thing as I was. And so, so then it clicked. I thought, my goodness, you know, if I like, if other people like this than I do, there has to be a market for it. And right. so I contacted some of the artists who I got to know um, or knew their work and um, make, I made contact with them. And we came up with an agreement and I represented basically uh, Nicholas Watts was my main uh, artist I represented. And we have done now for 20, 23 years, I think. Wonderful, wonderful artist. Uh, absolutely, there is nobody who can uh, can show the feeling of speed and, and sound yes. <laughs> uh, in, a, in a piece of artwork that he can do. And then there's another artist called Alfredo de la Maria. He's from uh, he's from down in Argentina. He has beautiful, beautiful palette. He has he has the ability to paint cars into what you think would be a bucolic scene. Although he's actually painting a real scene at Monaco or some other race, and it's almost surreal the way he brings the cars uh, and the crowd in together. Very nice. Well, uh, as I mentioned in our pre-show chat to Steve, I'd love to have these artists uh, on my show. I've had so many automotive artists here, and of course, I'm familiar with Watt's work. I mean, I've admired his work forever, so uh, we'll have to see if we can connect me with these guys in the future. Very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Steve. If you were a car, what kind of car would Steve be, and why? Wow. Um, gosh. Well, if it's supposed to, if it's supposed to uh, replicate m- me, I guess. Yes. Uh, I mean, I'd be something really boring. Uh, <laughs> That's because, okay. Uh, it's it would have to be a car that um, would be capable of of racing it, a car that I could tour with it, and was probably a car I could go use on the farm or something like that. Oh. Uh, it would have to be a car with uh, which had no ego and was reliable, and I, I suppose. Again, I have to go back to my English roots. There used to be some wonderful cars made out of um, a place called Bristol. It was called the Bristol. And there was some beautiful drophead Bristols were made in the 1950s. Yes. And uh, there's not very many of them around. They're not worth that much money, I don't think. Uh, most probably uh, Keith Martin at Sports Car Market could tell you what they're worth. But, um, <laughs> yes. It's a kind of a car that um, that I would feel comfortable in. I wouldn't feel ostentatious in it. And it would be a reliable fun car to drive. There you go. I appreciate you answering that very honestly. And yeah, of course, uh, Keith Martin's been a guest here on Cars. Yeah, as is, has his daughter, actually. And we're even talking oh, about having yeah. his, his young son on the show as a, a perspective of having a dad who's car crazy guy um, that he's grown up around. So. Yeah, he's he's obviously going to be in the in the family biz. You can see that coming. <laughs> I think so. I think so. So very cool of Bristol. Well, you're the first Bristol here on Cars, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't think there'd be very many. A very unique guy you are, Steve. Well, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars, yeah sponsors. What's the worst thing for your car's interior? No, it's not that milkshake the kid spilled in the back seat. It's the sun. Harmful UV rays cook your automobile's interior hour after hour when it's parked outside. 
even on a cloudy day. What's the solution? Covercraft sunscreens. They protect your dash, seats, and interior finishes from those damaging UV rays, while keeping the interior temperature tolerable, even on the hottest summer days. No more painfully sizzling seats and steering wheels for you. They unfold quickly and easily install, stay where you put them, and are custom patterned for an exact fit. The foam core acts as a cooling insulator, and you can get yours in different colors and finishes. And they even fold up easily and store under your seat or on the floor. I've used Covercraft sunscreens for years, and they are a fast and easy solution that protect my beloved cars when they're not in the garage. Learn more and order yours at Covercraft.com. Want to protect your entire vehicle? Get a car cover from Covercraft. They have those too. That's Covercraft.com. And tell them Mark sent you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. Okay, Steve, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Oh, without a doubt. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. <laughs> yes. Keep your keep your spanners in the toolbox. Don't fix it. <laughs> Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your success over the years? Well, I think I, I must probably, as I said it earlier on in the, in, in the chat, that um, I think tenacity, pragmatism, I mean, I think that uh, maybe the tenacity is steadied but with the pragmatism, but... Yeah. Um, that's it, you know. And, of course, never giving up. That's the other key yeah. element there. Now, there's lots of great resources out there, just like your business is a great resource for travelers. But is there another resource you'd like to share with the Cars yeah listeners? Well, there's, there's, that one is a question <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought of. Uh, I, uh, there, are, there are many, many that I, that I particularly use myself. Wow. You've really, I think you've, you've caught me on this one. Um, I tell you what I do get. I get a lot of people phone me up when they realize that they either one can't afford to go on my Monaco trip or they, um, or it's full and they just want to go themselves and they say, how do I go about doing that? Uh, the Automobile Club of Monaco has a great site and it is just acm.com. Mm. MC. Yeah. And if you yeah. want to find out about the, the Grand Prix or the historics or what's going on in Monaco, that's a great little site. Ah, perfect. Great resource. Appreciate that. I'll make sure it's on your show notes page here on the Cars yeah website. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry, living or deceased, who would it be? Whew. Um, 
Okay, it would have to be two people. Okay, uh, it would. It would. Uh, I, I'd, I'd pay for the two. Okay, <laughs> no problem. And I'll join you. I'll join you, and I'll buy the drinks. Okay, I think it'd have to be a Tory Bugatti and Nuvolari. Oh, to sit down with those two would be. I just can't imagine how incredible it would be. Wouldn't that be something? Now, how about a book? Is there a book that you've read that you think our listeners would enjoy reading as well? Well, first of all, um, I, I do read a lot of the biographies and of, of motor racing and so on. And the, the recent one that Brian Redmond just did uh, is absolutely brilliant. But oh, yeah. I'll be honest with you, I, I don't read as much as I should. I'm too damn busy. But I do read a lot on the, on planes and so on. But most of my reading is actually history. I'm a, I'm a real history nut. And so I'm reading a book right now which is just absolutely brilliant. It's called A Distant Mirror mm. by Barbara I think it's Tuchman or Tuchman, T-U-C-H-M-A-N. And it's the, uh, it's the history of the 14th century. Wow. And the reason it's called A Distant Mirror is because it tells you, it reflects our life today was not very much different than it was in the 14th century and why there, so, there were so many similarities. Oh. And it, it is, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, read. It's a long read. I don't suggest anybody sits down and has a nice quick read on it. Uh, I, I usually read, uh, you know, maybe for about uh, 30 minutes and then put it down and go back and go back. Um, but um, that is a, it's an incredible read and, and you're going to learn a lot from it. You're going to learn a lot about uh, modern times by looking at the 14th century. Wow, what a great reference. Nobody has recommended that book. I'll have to look that up. It sounds very interesting. Of course, Brian Redmond's book's been recommended because he's been a guest here on the show. We talked about mm -hmm. his book when mm -hmm. he was here, but uh, absolutely fantastic. So, in fact, uh, I'll let our listeners know that on Steve's show notes page on the Cars yeah website. He sent me a great photo I'm going to put there. Some pretty uh, spectacular people. Brian Redmond's one of them, Richard Atwood and Nino Vaccarella, all Targa Florio racers in 1970. So check out his show notes page and check out that picture. Those were some cool guys. It's a picture of four people. The fourth person isn't me. It's uh, it's the fellow who runs the Targa Florio Museum ah, okay. in, in Sicily. There you go. But uh, the wonderful thing about that day was uh, was the, we had a big, uh, had a small group. I didn't have that many people, 14, 15 people. It was a very nice, comfortable group, and we were traveling around the Targa with the uh, and uh, Brian and Richard uh, joined us for the whole trip, and then Nino uh, Vaccarella came and joined us for lunch, uh, and and, uh, and it was a fabulous, fabulous uh, uh, lunchtime because these three guys who raced each other for a number of years, but of course in that 1970 race, Brian won it. But uh, the only way he could beat Nino was uh, was in the pits because uh, Nino had a, a big wide Ferrari and he made it as wide as he possibly could. And he just, <laughs> yeah. Brian couldn't get by him, so he said he just stayed behind him the whole way until uh, until it was pit and, and just beat him in the pit. But uh, and, and the lovely story, if you got time to hear yes. this one, was that they're all talking about the corner, which we were in a restaurant just 150 yards from the main corner coming through this village. And uh, Brian says, "Well, of course you come in uh, at this angle and then you cut through and then and then you really pour the coals." It. And Nino, uh, in his Italian, uh, you know, actually, I'm not very good at this stuff, but uh, he said, no, 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 Brian, you, you you come in different. No, 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 you don't go that way. You go this way through there. Then you put your... Uh, and, and Richard says, well, actually, I think you'll find... Yes, well, I have my up. own way to go through the corner. Yeah. Halfway through lunch, they, these three guys put down their knives and forks, get up, walk down to the corner, and here's, here's three guys in their 70s. Yeah. 
you know, very, very seriously discussing about how do you go around this corner. Oh, I thought my it was gosh. beautiful. I just, that photograph was taken just minutes after they had been discussing that. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful story. Well, thank you for sharing that magnificent lunch. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. <laughs> well, listeners, you can find all these great resources on Steve's show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type Steve Austin into the search bar. That page will pop up with all these great links. All right, we are up to the checkered flag here, Steve, and this last question can be a real doozy. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, I'm going to buy you anything you'd like. Money's no object here today on Cars Yeah. We'll get out the big checkbook. What would that vehicle be and why? Okay, first of all, it wouldn't be a road car. Uh, it most probably is the car that I first saw when I was a young boy. Uh, it still is not an expensive car to this day, but a Maserati 250F. Ooh. Uh, I saw it race for the first time in, at Goodwood. I think I was 10 years of age, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. It's a beautiful car. It's a beautiful-looking racing car. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, so, for me, it's just a, a combination of a, of a great-looking car and a wonderfully historic car, personally, for me. Uh, yeah. You know, it's to me, that car is one of those just iconic, classic race car shapes. And when I was a little boy, I'd go to my aunt's house, and she had these little Shuko wind-up toy cars she'd let me play with. And one of them looked exactly like that car. I mean, it's just, it may be a little more squished a little bit, but whenever I look at the 250F, I think of that. And of course, uh, some of the famous people that race those cars, Fangio and others that uh, just, uh, yeah. Oh my gosh. That's going to cost me a pretty penny, Steve, but uh, that's okay. But they're not too bad. I mean, actually, it's amazing. I, I was, uh, I was talking to, uh, who the heck was it? I was talking to one, um, gosh. I can't remember now who it was, but uh, th- they surprised me by saying that uh, it was quite still quite an affordable car. Okay, well, cool. Well, I'll get a, I'll get looking for you so we can get one down there to you to, to Oregon so you can have some fun, take it out on the Portland International Raceway and drive around with some other classic cars. Very, very nice choice. You're the first one to choose that car, which kind of surprised me. Out yeah, of 765 guests here on Cars, yeah. So, very, again, you're a very authentic, unique guy, Steve. So, I like that. Well, Steve, you've taken us on an awesome ride today. I knew you would. An awesome adventure, as you've taken so many people on awesome adventures. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Could you offer us one parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off down the racetrack in that Maserati 250F? (laughs) Yeah, don't. Don't. (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) But... um. I, I think I just keep repeating myself. Uh, in, in all honesty, I, I never, I never ever did very much in my life which I intended to do. I think I backed into everything, and so I think if I was going to uh, offer advice to anybody, uh, I'd say just go, go with your heart, go with what you think at the time is the right thing to do, and if it isn't, you did the wrong thing for the right reason. <laughs> I like that. Very well put. <laughs> well, again, listeners, you can find links to everything Steve has shared with us today on his show notes page at carsyad.com. Just type Steve or Steve Austin into the search bar. That page will pop up. And, of course, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and your business? Well, obviously, uh, I have a website. It's Steve Austin's Automobilia and Travel. I will make sure that there is a link on your show notes page to your site. I would encourage our listeners to check out what Steve does. I think you're going to have great fun. And if you are one of the very fortunate people that get to go on one of his tours, do that, sign up, and take an adventure trip of a lifetime, and then call me and let's talk about it. So uh, I would love to be one of those people as well. So Steve, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise. I know you're a very busy guy. I want to thank you for sharing your adventures and experiences with the Cars Yow listeners. 
Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thanks a lot, Mark. Appreciate it. You're welcome. What's every automotive enthusiast's dream? To design and build that perfect garage. My friends at Metron Garage are a group of creative talents who've combined their passion for cars with their careers in architecture. Their service includes unique garage design and state-of-the-art fabrication. They will create the coolest custom garage for you and your vehicles. Metron Garage's system features fully engineered commercial-grade material and structural framing that's stronger than traditional construction. Their designs are pre-engineered to meet your building codes for fast, bolt-together construction. With over 25 years of experience, you'll see a 3D rendering to visualize your custom garage and the final structure will fulfill all your storage needs. Contact Metron Garage today and begin realizing your dream garage. Go to metrongarage.com. That's metrongarage.com. Garage is built for discerning enthusiasts. Where it's not just a garage, it's where your dream garage comes true. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!